Hi, everybody. I'm John Allen, and this is Last Week in the Church. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving yesterday. And yes, yesterday was Thanksgiving, in case you missed it, which means that today is Black Friday. So we've got a Black Friday shopping list for you on the show this week. Here's what you're going to be getting. We're going to be talking about the church and Joe Biden, a big win for Brooklyn at the United States Supreme Court, and the loss of a legend with a complicated relationship with the Vatican, Diego Maradona. So stick around. All right, we begin with the church and Joe Biden. Now, if you have been paying attention, Catholic reaction to the election of the second Roman Catholic president of the United States, uh, and of course, a Democrat as an alternative to President Donald Trump, on the two sides of the Atlantic has been a bit different, uh, at least at the leadership level. The Vatican uh, has been largely warm. We would remember that on November 13th, there was a phone conversation between President-elect Joe Biden uh, and Pope Francis. Uh, the Vatican confirmed the call, but didn't give us any insight into the content. Uh, Team Biden, on the other hand, gave us a readout indicating that the two leaders had discussed climate change, immigration, uh, and COVID-19 and sort of economic justice in, in the wake of the pandemic. Uh, now, there was some criticism in some quarters that there did not appear to be, at least in what Biden told us, uh, any mention of life issues such as abortion or contraception and the contraception mandate as part of health care reform. Uh, and, and that caused some consternation, although we should note, of course, <clears throat> that all we got was one side of a two-sided conversation. We don't know what else may have come up. But on the other hand, the Vatican was willing to allow that statement from the Biden camp to stand uh, without adding anything or modifying it. So uh, in that sense, it was intended to project uh, an image of a warm, amicable conversation between these two leaders. Uh, we also know, subsequent to that, uh, as it became clear that the legal challenges being mounted by President Trump and his advisors were unlikely to overturn the results of the election, the Vatican did officially congratulate uh, President-elect Joe Biden. And that's really been it. Uh, so it's been a muted but warm response from the Holy See. Uh, on the other hand, things are a bit more complicated when it comes to the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, uh, that is the body of bishops in the United States. Uh, at the recent fall meeting of the bishops, Archbishop Jose Gomez of Los Angeles announced the creation of a special working group uh, to sort of navigate the bishop's relationship with the incoming Biden administration. And to lead that group, he named Archbishop Alan Vigneron of Detroit. Now, the thing is, both Gomez and Vigneron would be perceived in by, by most, I think, uh, fairly, as sort of center-right in their politics. That is, part of the more conservative block within the American Bishops' Conference. And so the creation of this working group has caused some degree of, common, of controversy uh, among Catholic pundits and commentators. Uh, it, we should note uh, that when Archbishop Gomez made this announcement, uh, he said that the election of a Roman Catholic president in Joe Biden creates a difficult and complicated situation. Uh, and although he didn't come out and say it, I think it was clear to most people that what he meant uh, was that Biden's positions on some issues are likely, to, despite him being a Catholic, a practicing Catholic, goes to Mass on Sunday and so on, uh, despite all that, his positions on some issues are likely to contradict with church teaching. 
Uh, I, and that's going to be true from day one, by the way, because one of the promises candidate Biden made on the campaign trail uh, is that among the executive orders he will issue on his first day in office, like at 12.01 p.m. on January 20th, 2021, uh, will be to, rein, uh, to overturn the Mexico City policy, uh, which is a policy dating from the Reagan years that bans the use of taxpayer money to fund abortions overseas. Basically speaking, every Republican president since Reagan uh, has instated uh, the Mexico City policy. Every Democratic president uh, has overturned it, and Biden will be no exception, uh, which means from day one there will be a conflictual situation. Now, critics of the creation of this working group have objected well, hey, wait a minute. You bishops didn't create a working group to manage your relationship with the Trump administration. And for God's sake, there were a truckload of issues where the church and the Trump administration were not on the same page. I mean, integration, you know, withdrawing from the Paris Climate Change Accords, uh, war and peace, uh, economic justice. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, now, of course, the response to that would be uh, that, yeah, but Trump was not a practicing Roman Catholic. Joe Biden is. And one supposes that the bishop's concern is that if the president of the United States, who identifies himself as a Roman Catholic and who goes to mass, nevertheless takes positions that are not consonant with the official teaching of the church, then it could create confusion. Now, yeah, I don't know what to make of that. I, I'm not sure that anybody is truly going to be confused about what the Catholic Church teaches about, for instance, abortion, regardless of what Joe Biden does or doesn't do. Uh, but nevertheless, the working group is there, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. One thing that Biden uh, gets lucky with uh, is that his most direct, I guess, conversation partner within the bishops uh, is likely to be the Cardinal Archbishop of Washington, D.C., Wilton Gregory, uh, who, of course, is the first African-American uh, cardinal in American history. Uh, he will become a cardinal on November 28th in a ceremony that is called a consistory here in Rome. Uh, he and Biden, broadly speaking, uh, there's a good deal of common ground between the two men. Gregory would be, would be seen as a more center-left figure with a special interest in racial justice, which is also one of the core issues that Biden ran on. Uh, also, when it comes to the economy, immigration, things like that, uh, one would expect the two men to, to largely see eye to eye. Uh, quick footnote, uh, Cardinal Designate Gregory is in Rome right now. Uh, he, he came over in advance on the November 28th consistory to allow himself enough time to observe the mandatory 14-day quarantine for people from America who arrive in Europe, uh, it, which meant uh, that he spent Thanksgiving by himself uh, yesterday uh, in the Casa Santa Marta, that's the residence, the Vatican residence where the Pope also lives. Uh, my wife very charitably baked him a pumpkin bread and had it couriered over to him. So Archbishop Cardinal Designate Gregory, if you're watching, hope you enjoyed the pumpkin bread. Uh, one footnote about that consistory ceremony, because of all the COVID precautions, uh, this is going to be a private as opposed to a public event, which means that there won't be the traditional receptions to greet the new cardinals afterwards, which is really too bad, because that uh, those receptions were the only day when the general public, without an appointment, without a, a pass, without any kind of permission, could walk into the Vatican and stroll the corridors of the Apostolic Palace and go wherever they wanted. So uh, we're going to miss that. 
But nevertheless, we will have our eyes on that consistory November 28. Uh, all right. Uh, second story, big win for Brooklyn in, in the United States Supreme Court. So the Diocese of Brooklyn, under Bishop Nicholas DiMarzio, uh, filed several legal appeals against COVID restrictions imposed by New York Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo, who, by the way, is also a Roman Catholic. Uh, and among other things, those restrictions imposed caps on the number of people who could go to worship services in what were called orange and red zones, that is, places in New York where infection rates were above the threshold for containing the virus. Uh, in many parts of Brooklyn and Queens, that meant that attendance at Mass on Sunday was limited to 25 people. Now, DiMarzio objected, pointing out, number one, uh, that that meant worship services were being defined as inessential, while grocery stores, pharmacies, even pet stores were able to decide for themselves how many people could be safely admitted because they were called essential. And he was raising the question, well, you know, why are we being discriminated against? Uh, the, the other point uh, is that he noted that many of these cathedrals, basilicas, churches, you know, were built in an earlier age where they, they have these soaring ceilings. They're these massive stone structures, uh, which can easily safely accommodate far in excess uh, of 25 people. They've got great internal airflow. Uh, and, you know, he pointed out all the necessary safety precautions in terms of distancing and mask wearing and gloves during the distribution, or not gloves during communion, but uh, safe reception of communion, communion in the hand. You know, all of those boxes were being checked. Now, his uh, uh, effort to make that argument at lower levels was rejected. They initially ap appealed for a temporary restraining order. That was uh, rejected. Then they sought an injunction. That was rejected. So they appealed to the Supreme Court. And in a five to four decision, the U.S. Supreme Court sided with the Diocese of Brooklyn and also with the Jewish congregation that had joined the action. Uh, and of note, uh, this was the first Supreme Court decision of consequence in which new justice uh, Amy Coyne Barrett uh, essentially cast the deciding vote. Earlier this year, a very similar case regarding limits on worship services in California and Nevada had made its way to the court. And the deciding vote there was Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, who joined what was then a, a liberal majority on the court. But of course, that has now been flip-flop because of the appointment of Justice Barrett by President Trump. Uh, you know, interestingly, the, the Barrett appointment was one of the arguments that uh, President Trump made on the campaign trail to Catholic voters as to why they ought to side with him. In the end, of course, we know uh, that Biden uh, outperformed Hillary Clinton four years ago among Catholic voters, including among white Catholic voters this time. And in those critical battleground states of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, that shift in the white Catholic vote probably drove the result uh, in this election. Um, so it, it was sort of ex post facto, but we got a reminder of what ended up being a somewhat losing argument for the president in his attempt to reach Catholic voters. Uh, all right, finally, the loss of a legend. The world for the last couple of days has been mourning the passing of soccer star Diego Maradona, who died in Argentina at the far too young age of 60. Uh, after he was, he had had brain surgery and he was also rehabbing from the effects of you know, long-term alcoholism. Uh, now, Maradona, it is worth remembering, Maradona was Pope Francis before Pope Francis. That is, he was the most famous Argentinian in the world 
uh, at his prime. He became a household name. Uh, and a bit like Pope Francis, uh, there is a sort of quasi-religious devotion to Maradona, uh, certainly in Argentina, his, his home, uh, but also here in Italy. Uh, he was, of course, a star for the Napoli team, Naples, uh, during the, the 1980s. Uh, they won a few Scudetti. That's the Scudetto is the shield. It's the Italian term for the soccer championship here. Uh, and people are still wildly devoted to Diego Maradona in Naples. There is actually, believe it or not, a shrine to the hair of Diego Maradona in Naples, in a bar. People from all over that region, and frankly, for that matter, all over the world, flock to this place. Uh, and there are these you know, huge pictures on the wall of this kind of wild sort of Afro thing uh, that Maradona at his peak had. Uh, and of course, you know, there were also occasionally quasi-supernatural moments uh, in Maradona's life. We all remember in the 1986 World Cup, the famous Hand of God goal. Uh, this is when, Mar when Argentina was playing England in the quarterfinals. Uh, Maradona was making a, a break. Uh, one of his teammates took a shot on goal. It bounced into the air. Maradona went in to hit it into the goal, accidentally hit it with his left arm instead. Now, that, of course, is against the rules. The refs didn't see it. The goal counted. Argentina beats England and goes on to win the World Cup, right? Uh, hand of God. Uh, it, now, Maradona would later refer to the election of his countryman, Pope Francis, as another example of the hand of God. Uh, Maradona, for most of his life, uh, was a deep critic uh, of the Catholic Church and the Vatican. He once famously referred to the Vatican as a lie. Uh, he said it should be giving to people, but instead it takes from them. He was a big supporter of Fidel Castro, Hugo Chavez, Nicolas Maduro in, in Nicaragua. That is uh, a kind of Latin American leftist socialist and therefore deeply anti-clerical, deeply hostile to the institutional church. But he really liked Pope Francis. Uh, the two men met uh, for the first time in 2014. Maradona participated in this thing called a match for peace, which was a soccer match held here in Rome at the Stadio Olimpico. Uh, to support organizations that are involved in conflict resolution in trying to end war. Uh, it, Maradona was by far the most famous soccer, although, I, you know, there were a number of their big ticket guys, but the, the lines to see Maradona were much longer than anybody else at that match, uh, except, of course, for Pope Francis himself. Uh, and uh, Maradona said in 2016, that his relationship with Pope Francis had brought him back to his Catholic roots. Now, I don't think that meant going to church, but he said he was once again praying, uh, and he had a new perspective on Catholicism. Now, you know, none of us can know uh, what was in the mind and heart uh, of Diego Maradona in those final moments. One presumes that since he had begun praying four years ago, he probably was praying then, we all know he had a complicated journey through life. <clears throat> he was a flawed hero. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I am old enough to remember Diego Maradona at his prime. I remember that 1986 World Cup. Uh, I even have watched some footage of his old wins for Napoli. And I will tell you, that man was an artist on the soccer pitch. He brought joy to millions and millions of people all around the world. And so one hopes that just as Diego Maradona was always right on the pitch when he played soccer, that he also got right with God uh, in those final moments 
And so Diego Maradona requiescat in pace. As Shakespeare once said, he was a man. Take him for all in all. We shall not look upon his like again. All right, that's last week in the church. Thanks for watching. Please continue to check out the Crux news site for your 24-7 coverage of the Catholic world. That is cruxnow.com, cruxnow.com. We're also in the middle of our annual fundraising drive. If you can help us out, we are not asking for much. Maybe just what you spend on a couple of cups of Starbucks every month. Uh, it would make the, a world of difference to us. We would be eternally grateful. And because yesterday was Thanksgiving, I want to tell you how grateful all of us at Crux are for you. We love this gig, and it's only possible because of you. Stay safe, stay, hep stay healthy. We will talk to you again next week.